0: little Bing Crosby this morning, huh? I grew up listening to that song. Christmas tends to bring out the romantic side of people, and you know, I'm Dreaming of a White Christmas, uh, I think does that like no other song uh, does that, at least if you're of my generation. Um, Often at this time of year, you'll hear uh, a sincere Wetterman be really super concerned about having a white Christmas. You ever notice that? And I think, I love a brown Christmas. How about you? I don't want to do snow, but I, I, I never would imagine we'd have a wet Christmas. How about you? <laughs> it would rain. That, that just seems really, really bizarre. But wanting snow is never, to me, a good thing, being from Minnesota. We don't want snow. Um, so this morning, I want us to kind of break away from that romantic, uh, sentimental kind of understanding of Christmas. And I want to talk with you about some stark reality that I think surrounds a season that's incredibly important uh, to understand. Christmas is all about God sending his son to take care of a problem. And the problem, of course, is that of sin. The world was lost and hopeless, and God looked down with great compassion upon us and, and sent his son. This purpose is made very clear in the dream that God gave to Joseph. Joseph was to be married to Mary, and he's troubled because she's pregnant, and it's not his child. And, and so uh, God visits Joseph in a dream, and the angel said to him in Matthew chapter 1, verses 20-22, through 22, he says this in his dream, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So God informs Joseph in this dream that Jesus is coming with a purpose, to save people from their sins. And it's interesting when you look at at what this really means that Jesus came to save us from our sins. It means he came right into the middle of a messed up, troubled humanity, and I think his birth is illustrative of how he was willing to enter into the problems of humanity. First of all, he's being born to a young virgin, which is scandalous. Uh, she's not the ideal, quote, mother. And, and so he, he, right away you see this kind of mess and messiness that, that Christ is entering into. And then he, he, he's born in this stinky stable, a hole in the side of a hill, most likely. It's not sanitary, do any of you struggle with germs? I'm a little bit of a germ phobic personality. I do a lot of the hand sanitizer stuff, and we joke about it in our family just a little bit. I I don't like messy stuff. I don't mind getting greasy from a car. I figure that's clean grease. Doesn't have germs in it. You know what I mean? Uh, it's just grease. But I'm a little bit phobic about 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 the germ thing a bit, and I think. If, if my doom board was in a stinky stable, I'd be sanitizing the manger, the straw, everything, because it would just drive me nuts. But it was like God was saying, I am sending Jesus to deal with this problem of sin, and symbolically he enters into the humanity, uh, uh, you know, into the human race, right into the middle of this stinky, unsanitary, messy situation. And it just seems like, That's symbolic of what Christ is really all about, dealing with our mess, dealing with our uncleanness. And the Christmas story, I think, is really a prototype of the work of what Christ would then do. Um, It's like the first of what what is to come. Jesus came to straighten out the mess that we had created. And even how he enters into creation is indicative of that ministry. And he's called Emmanuel, God with us, meaning that uh, he's going to be one of us. What did it mean for the second person of the Trinity, for, for Jesus Christ? What did it mean that he came and dwelt among his creation? Um, what does it mean that he put on human flesh? Uh, man, it, things changed drastically for him. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about how his existence changed? I mean, for all time, Christ had enjoyed the splendor. Uh, 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 of heaven and the adoration of the heavenly beings. He had enjoyed perfection. Um, he had enjoyed that perfect community with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. He had enjoyed the adoration of the heavenly host. I mean, I, I think when he walked the streets of heaven, so to speak, uh, there was some joyous celebration. Have you ever been to a sporting event? I know all of you have, basically, or watched one, and people just really adore the athletes. It's almost kind of creepy. <sighs> Look at that. That's James LeBron, you know, or maybe Adrian Peterson, or if you're a Packers fan, God help you. Um, Adrian Rogers gets that kind of adoration. Relax, right? Relax. That's like the, 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 anyway, I won't go there anymore. Enough said. Um, Jesus enjoyed that perfect adoration of the heavenly hosts. And, he had always been with God. He had been part of the, uh, the, uh, 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 the trinity all along. He was part of the creation of heaven and earth. He was part of that whole scenario. He puts on flesh. How utterly restricting that must have been. I hate tight clothes. <laughs> My wife has gotten me to wear slimmer clothes because she says i look frumpy otherwise. So, uh hard to get old. You know, I'm thinking I'm frumpy. Hmm. And uh, I, I, I get for Christmas, I get a pressure washer and I'm so happy. It's so I think that means I'm getting old because I think I can clean things now with my pressure washer. That's an old man talking, isn't it? Young people don't even care if things are clean. Amen. Now I just want to clean stuff in my spare time. Anyway, I don't know why I'm saying any of this. But so, so Jesus puts on flesh. It means he's willing to to leave the splendor of heaven and all that entails. It means he left the recognition and adoration that is so rightly his. And he's born in the city of David in Bethlehem in a smelly animal stable, a cave of some sort. And that was quite a journey when you think about it. First, just leaving heaven and come to earth, what a journey that must have been. He left eternity and he stepped into time. We, we can't really even wrap our minds around what that means because we are so limited in our capacity. But here you have God. He is never restricted by time. And he steps into time. That must have felt just strange. Very restrictive. Very limiting. And then in heaven, he's recognized by, by all creatures. He's adored and, and, and praised. And then he, he takes on the name Jesus which in that culture was a very, very, very common name. It's like Bob in our culture or Mike or Steve. Very, very common name. I remember growing up and my teacher would say, Steve, and three or four of us would raise our hands, yes? You know, it was just a common name. And, and now the name Jesus is, is common. And God doesn't do things by accident, amen? So he has this common name. He goes from All this recognition to having a a really, really common name. And he doesn't just take on bodily form temporarily. He takes it on. He's coming back in it. It's who he's going to be from that point on. He's going to have this body. And that must have felt strange to be limited by a physicalness that you've never been limited by before. Um, I don't know if any of you have ever been hurt or have had some kind of injury in your life I've had the tendency to tear things frequently and I remember when I tore my quadriceps how limiting that was for about a year just you know what you used to be able to do you couldn't even I couldn't even I'd look at stairs and go oh no stairs you know I gotta go up these stairs and uh, I, I wonder if Christ just experiencing that limitedness of humanity what that must have been strange amen for him, And so he leads the affluence of heaven for the troubles of earth. And he willingly put himself into the middle of the mess of humanity. That's the journey that he took on our behalf. Many of us put up a little manger scene uh, to remember uh, Christmas. And I'm not against manger scenes. They're, they're kind of cool and they're nostalgic and romantic. But I think we need to incorporate some smells into those puppies. You, you know, I remember going to Disney World Uh, A few years back, I've been there a couple times, and they have a couple rides where they poof this stuff into your face. Any of you have been there, you know what I'm talking about. The first time it happened, I was not expecting that. All of a sudden, there's this sulfury, yucky smell. I'm going, oh, where's the hand sanitizer, right? (laughs) You know, and then uh, it's just terrible smell. I think we should incorporate a dung puffer into major scenes. So when you walk by the manger scene, you get a whiff of what it's all about. Because that's really what happened. Uh, I come from a farm family, at least when I was young. And my grandpa did dairy uh, cattle. And, uh, of course, he always had a pig or two. Um, And I remember every time I walked into that barn, I go, "Woohoo! That's a little ripe in here, you know. He didn't have all the modern equipment that, that... there's available now but uh it was it was it was uh it was ripe in that place that's the manger scene that christ really came into can you smell the stink of the stable this morning see christ left the splendor of heaven and entered the stink of the stable we just got to understand that journey it's a demotion basically it's a demotion it, he he went from all this ultimate freedom as uh, as God, all this recognition of the splendor of heaven, and he comes into this very restrictive now existence of humanity. He puts on flesh, and it just it, it's a demotion, so to speak. Uh, Paul talks about this in Philippians chapter two, verses six through eight, where he says, "Christ who." being a very nature of God. They're not considering equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. These verses make it sound like Christ took an emotion when he came to earth. In addition, he was rejected and despised by so many people, by so many people. So here's a perspective to get this morning when it comes to this journey that Jesus made from heaven to earth, Jesus' life started with a no room reception of the innkeeper at his birth and culminated with the desertion by all who followed him as he faced the cross alone. That was his human experience. Beaten beyond recognition, pouring out his life, he's deserted by all of his followers. And the question becomes why would he take such a demotion? Why would he do that? You ever been demoted in your life? You ever willingly take a demotion? I remember taking a step backwards in my career very much on purpose. I was faced with that dilemma as a young engineer at 3 I I had a lot of success. The problem with that was I traveled all the time. And that one summer, I remember going to New York 13 times, and my wife had Liz at home, and Liz was a year old at the time. She was just a little gal, and Bree was on her way and I was missing out entirely on my family. And so I took a demotion. I stepped out of that particular job and took one that wasn't as demanding because I came to the point where I thought, I I can't be away from my family this much. It just isn't gonna work long-term. And so I stepped out of a situation that was career-wise looking very successful in order for my family to be a success. And one of my fellow engineers, I remember that, he just couldn't wrap his mind around this. He thought I was sacrificing my career and I said well my family's more important than my career and I'm gonna tell you something that I think I've already figured out as a guy that's only 24 years old or 25 years old at the time whatever I was I said when I'm done with life you know it's gonna be standing by my side when I pass away my wife and my kids three, I won't be here so I think that deserves my priority over my career, and God honored that anyway. I did well at my career anyway. You know, it didn't really matter. But I, I, I willingly took this demotion. You know why I took it? Because I love my family. That's why I did it. You know why Jesus took the demotion He took? Because He loves us. He loves us. John three sixteen says, "For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life." So the logic behind the emotion is love. So the why is simply this. Jesus took the emotion because he loves us and wants relationship with us. That's why he's willing to step out of the splendor of heaven into the stinky stable. Love is described in the Bible as being the very essence of God. First John 4, 8 says God is love, and that love isn't sloppy sentimentalism. That's why I want to get away from the romanticism of Christmas a little bit this morning. Uh, with God, when he talks about love, it means there's an action element to it. Uh, 1 John 1, 1.9 tells us, this is how God loved us. He, he, uh, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that, he, uh, that we might live through him. And verse 10 in that same section of the Bible further explains that Christ came as an atoning sacrifice for us. In other words, God's love was demonstrated by an action of coming for us. And so that we could be okay with God by what Christ did for us on the cross. So Christ left the recognition and the adoration and the splendor of heaven and came into the stinky stable because of love. He was willing to become Emmanuel. He was willing to put on all the restrictions of humanity, which it is restricting for him because of love. This is the reason he would leave all that majesty of heaven can you we can't we can't even we can't can't conceptualize it what heaven's like we could talk about it but we can't even conceptualize it once you get there you're not going to want to come back amen you're going to think why did i think earth was so great this is a vapor this is a mist what we're experiencing now when we get to heaven we're going to think Well, god thank you for earth but i don't want to go back there and christ willingly left all that because of love so to me, that's the heavenly perspective of what Christmas is all about, like Christ was willing to be incarnate on our behalf. There's a human perspective to this demotion, though, and I, I, I want to get to this for a, a, a few moments. Humanly speaking, uh, the Christmas story is the best demotion ever. I mean, it is just the best demotion ever, we can look at that and say, thank you, God, that Christ is willing to be demoted on our behalf because we have everything to gain by his demotion and basically nothing, nothing at all to lose. Um, the angel told Joseph, Christ is coming to save people from their sins. Sin's a problem for us. Sin's a problem for us. We couldn't solve that problem on our own. There is no solving of it. There are two things you need to understand about our, our, our problem of sin one is this we are by nature sinful once sin entered into the creation we become by nature sinful since the fall of mankind we have it built into us a propensity to sin it's in our dna it is our nature to be sinners anyone who has a small child will quickly realize that bugger is a sinful creature that's not to diminish they're cute they're super cute right and you and you love them like crazy but they're selfish they they're demanding, and when they get to be twos, there's a reason they're called terrible twos. I remember the very first time they say no. You go, What? You said no to me. I have loved you unselfishly for two years. I've poured my life off for you. I've changed poopy diapers. I do that for nobody else. And you say no. I remember the first time that happened, I was so shocked. They said no. You know, that's what happens, right? If you've had a little child, you know what I'm talking about. You know what's even harder? When you're grandpa and they say no. Because all grandpas do is bless you. I give you candy when your parents say no. I say, yeah, you can watch that TV show. No big deal. The parents are going, who are you? What are you doing? You're wrecking our kids. I said, that's my job. And then I had one of them say no recently. Little Sam, Samuel Stephen, he's named after me, he figures, right? Uh... I'm saying something to Sam, and he goes, no, Grandpa, I have never seen Nate move that fast in my life. That's my son, the father of Samuel. He was swooped up, and he got in some trouble for saying no to Grandpa. I'm saying, it's no big deal. And Nate said, yeah, it's a big deal. Boom, it was a big deal. We had some gnashing of teeth and crying at that moment. So by nature, we're sinful, amen? By nature, we've got to admit that, right? By nature, we're sinful. But listen to this. This is another thing we've got to understand about sin nature. We are sinful by nurture, too. Now, normally we don't use that word nurture and associate it with sinfulness. You see, we think of nurture as, oh, they're nurturing them along to do well. But by nurture, we also are led into sinfulness. Think of nurture in this context. We have a lot of influences on our lives that take us to certain directions. That's another way of looking at the word nurture. Friends and family can lead us into sin very easily moms and dads can lead us into sin unintentionally because they're not perfect you ever have a friend counsel you to do something wrong beside me anybody ever had that experience come on now i was one of those friends let's go do this we'll never get caught that's nurture we're nurturing somebody else into sinfulness We don't think of nurture that way, but we tend to do that all the time. How often does TV or advertising nurture us into sinfulness? You know, from food to alcohol to sexual things to cars of all things. It's all nurturing us into wrong things oftentimes, getting us to lust, getting us to desire By nurture, we're led into sin. So by nature and by nurture, we have this sin thing going on. And the Bible says here's what's wrong with sin. Romans 6.23 tells us the wages of sin is death. In other words, when we're sinning, we're just earning a consequence. It's called death. Death there, by the way, means hell. For the wages of sin basically is hell, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ, our Lord and romans 8 8 says this those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please god they cannot please god we need a solution for the sin problem that is a problem by nature and nurture and god saw that and sent jesus christ it's the best emotion ever christ took care of our sin problem by dying on the cross to pay a price that we can't pay all we have to do is by faith receive it amen isn't this cool that's christmas Christmas. The Bible tells us that Christ put on flesh, dwelt among us and died so that he could become our advocate. That means he makes a case before God for us. So when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, he becomes your advocate. And you know what he says? He says, Father, you see Joel there, you see Sam, you see you know, Susie, you see Betty. They put faith in me. They're covered by my blood now. When you see them, see me. He advocates for us. That's what it means that he's our advocate. He's also our sympathetic high priest because he's dwelt in this human frailty that is life for us. He understands our weaknesses. He understands our temptations. He knows what it means to be human. He knows pain. He understands rejection. And he says, I'm your sympathetic high priest and I'll fill you with the Holy Spirit so that you can do more than you think you can do. He's come to strengthen us and to equip us. From a human perspective, Christmas is the best emotion ever. Amen. It's the best emotion ever. I like to say it this way. Jesus is the gift that keeps on giving. (laughs) You can really say that. He is the only gift that really keeps on giving and giving and giving and giving. He left the splendor heaven, the adoration of the hosts of heaven, the majesty and all that associated with heaven, he made the journey down into a sticky stable because he loves us. Because he loves us. And when we put our faith in him, he becomes our advocate and our sympathetic high priest. That's Christmas. I love Christmas. You love Christmas? You know, I can even look past all the Santa Claus stuff and all that, whatever. Jesus has made a way He cared so much that he came to save us from ourselves, from our sins. So today I would just encourage you, take a moment to reaffirm your faith in Christ. But realize what he's done, amen? Realize what it means that he became God in flesh. Think on that, meditate on that a little bit. Because we think this human existence is the top of the food chain. (laughs) No, no. We have so much more to experience, don't we? We really do. For some of you today, it's the day that God is saying, "Put your faith in Jesus. Understand what He's really done for you. Love on Him, receive Him, worship Him, adore Him. He'll never disappoint you. Believe that for your sake, Christ came to this world." And it's the best emotion ever in all of eternity. Let's pray. And then we got a few songs to end with this morning. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Lord God, I want to thank you for this Christmas season. It's such a great time to just recenter on Jesus Christ. Um, Oftentimes, we look at our human experience and we think this life is all there is. But really, it's good, God. It's such a good gift. And I don't want to minimize it in any way, but... When Christ fills our heart, we become all we're meant to become. And we have to look forward to the splendor of heaven and seeing you face to face and and, and having that full-orbed aliveness, uh, that glorification that happens uh, when we get into your presence, that completeness, Jesus, uh, that, that we can't even conceptualize. What lies ahead? We can only kind of try to put words uh, that describe it and try to wrap our minds around it, but we really, really can't understand it. You left all that. You were in the middle of it. You were the centerpiece, so to speak, of heaven. You were receiving the adoration of all the heavenly hosts. And when you walked the streets, worship happened. And you left all that to come to a stinky manger to be despised and rejected by your own creation as you offered so many life that they refused as you put on flesh and became so restricted as you suffered and endured pain for our 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 sins lord we we, we help us to, to, to realize what the incarnation really means to this day help us understand in a sense it's a demotion but it's the best demotion ever and for our sake and for the Love of your creation, you did all this, and we so rejoice in that today. Now as we sing some songs, may we just love on you, Jesus, worship you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Holy Spirit, would you come to this place? Would you anoint this place? Would you feel each one of our hearts with your presence and your power as we worship you in song? In your name, Jesus, amen.